A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way they encountered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? That's what James and John asked Jesus. And I've always been stupefied by that. Really, James and John, you've spent this whole time with Jesus. And you think that's what Jesus would allow. Um, just because Jesus isn't welcomed in this Samaritan town. Essentially, James and John are saying, Jesus, would you like us to burn people alive on your behalf? At the beginning of this passage, Luke tells us that Jesus has, quote, set his face towards Jerusalem, thus opening this long section of the gospel that focuses on Jesus' journey. From this point, from Luke chapter 9, around verse 50 to the Luke 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he will be on the way through all of these events in Luke. And this lengthy journey is only found in Luke's gospel. And from this point on, the, there is this intensity to Jesus. He sets his face, and that's where he's going. And he does it with intensity and with determination and seemingly with this expectation of opposition. And opposition does come automatically from the very beginning. Jesus chooses to begin this journey in an outsider town, in this Samaritan town, proclaiming, I think, that in the kingdom of God, it is the outsiders that are the insiders. And he begins his journey towards Jerusalem in this Samaritan town, towards the cross, and it begins the way it ends, with rejection. 
And at the beginning of his journey, the disciples don't get it. And at the end of the journey, the disciples don't get it. James and John are so upset, I think, that this Samaritan village is refusing to offer the most basic measure of hospitality that they want to channel their inner Elijah and summon down flames from above to wipe this town ablaze. And you have to admire them. I mean, I sat back this week and you have to just admire them a little bit on some basic level. You have to You have to smile at their desire to come to Jesus' defense, to to stand up for Jesus. It was a massive overreaction, to be sure, right? But it seems as if they were trying to let Jesus know, hey, listen, uh, we've got your back. It's as if they were saying, "Uh, Jesus, I'm not really exactly sure. We're not really exactly sure what's going on here. We don't know why in the world you've set your face towards Jerusalem. We don't know why you're going to this Samaritan town to begin your journey to Jerusalem. We think it's a crazy plan. We think you should stay up here in Galilee and continue to heal people and to preach. You're doing pretty good there. In fact, we think it's a hornet's nest, Jerusalem, but we'll follow you there. But we're really confused. So if, if, if you could just call fire down and set this town ablaze of people we don't really like at all, then the world might make a little more sense to us. There might be some more black and white there. And I, I know the analogy is bad, but I can relate to it a, to a degree. Maybe you can. My world, to a certain degree, is spinning right now, a bit out of control Unlike the previous 20 years of my life, I'm not exactly sure what the future holds, and that's scary, and I don't like that. I like to control things. For the past nine days, Mary's mother and sister and our three nephews and nieces have been visiting from Texas, and we've had a blast showing them around and spending time with them. But our house, if you've seen it, is relatively small. And when you shove five extra people in our small house, things happen. Doors get open and sliding doors that go out to the backyard don't get shut all the way and temperature rises, literally and figuratively. And I like a cold house. That's my, listen, I don't need much heat in the winter and I I need a lot of air in the summer. I like it at 69. And that temperature gauge is one thing that I can control. And I went earlier this week, and I set it to 69 to make sure um, it, was, it was where I wanted it. And, and 10 minutes later, it was up to 75. I noticed it was hot, so I went back and I changed it. I mean, I didn't say anything, just changed it back to set 69. 15 minutes later, it was up to 75 again. I went back and I changed it to 69. And I probably did this 20 times over the week, but I wasn't going to give up control. I wanted our house to be at 69. I could control that. And I took it as my personal mission to keep it where I like it because it made sense to me, right? In a small way, that's what the disciples were doing. And of course, Jesus will have none of that nonsense. If you're going to follow Jesus, 
You might as well forget your desire to control things, right? Because that's not going to happen. And most of the time, you aren't going to make sense of anything that happens. And too often, right? Too often, we try to stand up and defend Jesus, like James and John. We get worried that people or our society is casting him aside, that <clears throat> excuse me, we're taking him out of Christmas or ripping his commandments off the courthouse wall, and it makes us so angry, and so we stand, we stand up for him. We defend him because that makes sense to us. It's something we can get behind. If we can't get behind Jesus, then we're good for nothing as Christians, we think to ourselves. And the problem is, it's just our way of making sense of the world, kind of. In reality, Jesus didn't need James and John to defend him, all right? He doesn't need us to defend him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can defend himself. He's got it. And if there's judgment and brimstone and fire to be had, then God is more capable of making that happen than I am. Jesus didn't need James and John to defend him. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him, but he needs us to follow him. And when we start defending, we waste all of our energy and we stop following. Because when we defend, we don't have to follow. When we defend, we don't have to submit. When we defend, we can keep control and we can slowly start to mold Jesus into somebody that believes everything we do. Anne Lamott famously wrote, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that he hates everybody that you do. See, Jesus doesn't require us to defend. He commands us to follow. And following him is so much harder. It requires so much more commitment, so much more dedication. It requires us to give up our ideas of what makes sense. It requires submission. It, it demands that we hand over complete control to him. And frankly, most people aren't willing to do that because we don't want to go where Jesus is headed. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Most people don't want to do that. And the end of this passage proves that. After they leave the Samaritan town, Jesus continues on his way to Jerusalem, on the way to suffering and to death. And he encounters some would-be followers. It's the only time in Luke's gospel that somebody volunteers to follow Jesus, the first one. One man says he will follow Jesus anywhere, but Jesus isn't welcomed everywhere. So neither are his followers. One would like to follow after he tends to his father's burial, but Jesus is on the way to his own burial, so he doesn't have time to wait for this man's father to be buried. One says he will follow after he says goodbye to family, but farewells look back, and this journey moves only forward. Jesus' face is set in one direction, and there's no turning back for him. On the road to Jerusalem, there is no time for I will follow, but. The needs and requests of these three would-be followers, they seem appropriate. They don't seem unreasonable. 
But the way of discipleship is, is unreasonable. If we are worried that Jesus is harsh and unreasonable in this passage, then perhaps we too have misunderstood, I think, the urgency of his mission. His claim on his followers is a radical one. Following me, he says, will demand everything. He gives it all out to you. He lays it out for you. The commitment of discipleship requires prioritizing him over everything, including our most important obligations and our cherished relationships. He urges all potential disciples to understand exactly what you and I are getting into. He doesn't try to cherry coat it or sugarcoat it or put a cherry on top of it, right? He, he says, this is what you're getting into. And no looking back. And given the totality of such a commitment and given how clear he was with his followers that following him would involve rejection, loss, suffering, and even death, it's a, it's a wonder that anybody would want to follow him at all. And that is our cross to bear as followers if we are going to travel with him on the way. It isn't powerful victories over hordes of armies or victories over cancer or sickness or death. It isn't wealth. But it is, as Jesus described, life abundant. As the psalmist declared, you are my only God. And it is the only life worth living. Now more than ever, because the stakes are too high, the price is too great, the hour too late, for the night cometh, John says, the journey too long for anything but total commitment. So, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, and let's go. Pray with me. God, taking stock and looking back, I see so many times when I chose to defend instead of just submitting and following. And those are the times I'd like to have back. As we leave this place uh, and move throughout our week, give us the will, the determination, the resolve to follow you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.